0: Alright, yeah, fannies. Welcome to Two Beards and a Ball Bag Scottish Heavy Metal Podcast with your hosts, Stuart Love, Tamil War and Stuart Moore. <laughs> Hi everyone, and welcome to Two Beards in a Ball Bag. It's been years in the making, but here we are. I'm your host, Stuart Love, and one of the beards. We've got Tamil War Perret, who's the second beard, and we've got Angus Bobagamis, Stuart Moore, who actually loves the most overrated band in the world called Iron Maiden. What a start for that for the podcast, boys.
1: You're taking a risk here, lad.
0: Hold you're overrated, <sighs>
2: though. Just get overrated. overrated. It, 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 that actually went no bad there, Stuart. Um, me, me and him had that conversation a couple of days ago But um He was going to tell you that Iron Maiden were the most overrated band. I could feel your soul leaving you a wee bit <laughs> as he said it. Um, I don't have a soul anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it well, I do a soul house. Nah, well, we may as well start this off, because, Stu, you've been on your travels over in Poland to see them two nights, and then you've just seen them in Glasgow
1: a few days ago? Yep, potentially see them in London again next Saturday after Comic Con, if I can get a ticket.
0: Wow, that's dedication, man. That is dedication. How is the Polish gigs compared
1: to the, uh, the the Glasgow gigs? Did you see a difference? Well, only because in the Glasgow gig it was in the standing area, for Poland they could only get seats, but uh, still the sales team. Ah, right. So, but the best bit about the Poland shows, cheaper beer. And better beer, <laughs> less Poland. It is better beer, actually. Aye, 16, absolutely, and how's things find a war down Heineken compared to less than two quid for a bite of Tisky? Come on, it's not exactly a comparison. I
0: know, I know, I know. And Mister Perrot, travel war. How's life with yourself? How's
2: things going? Aye, no bad. Um, shite weather, but you expect that in Glasgow, don't you? So,
0: <laughs> I know, I know. Every time I see you come shooting Glasgow, it rains. Fucking grim, absolutely grim. i oh, missed all Still the good stuff. Coming then. <laughs> I know, I'm actually, for our listeners, um, I'm just putting a little filter through here just to get the, the Ouija translation through, because cannot understand these boys at all, you know, this West Coast nonsense.
1: <laughs> fucking tampons. I'm
2: going to quote a guy. <laughs> I'm going to quote a
1: <laughs> Oh, there we go, that's, that's some
2: introduction. But anyway, Tam, how's things with yourself? All good, apart from the weather. Aye, I'm going to quote a guy, though, that um, came to see Ciro once. Um, was it he said, West Coast is the best coast? I stick by that, mate. I stick by that. West Coast is the best coast. Nah. Um, I no, things are fine. Um, you know me, just plodding along. It'll be, well, be nice to obviously have this chat about um, metal culture, Glasgow, or the usual banter-pish Edinburgh, if we can Absolutely. understand you, because that, that'll be difficult as well. Because that's the thing. <laughs> folk don't realise this, but Glasgow's only... With fifty miles away from Edinburgh, or something like that. Aye, it's and then an hour, an hour apart. If, aye, if you come through here, we can't fucking understand you, and if we get through there, we you can't understand us. It's mental no, how they, the language is. changes, you know.
0: The div- I've always said that you know the the diversity between the two cities is phenomenal. I mean, considering we're only just an hour apart, everything from the banter, how we like our food to drinks, what you used to call you know ginger, 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 and we have, what's the word Dauber. You're Dauber. <laughs> That's classmate.
2: Class partner. Class, class <laughs> it's no
0: class partner. Yeah, Dauber, but we'll go into that in a little bit anyway. But um I mean it's amazing that we've managed to, after all these years, get together. I mean, I first um was introduced to Stuart about 22, 23 years ago, um, putting a band together with a few uh, musicians that you'll know anyway. And Stu was up for playing bass, but that never materialised and it was only just until a week past Monday that we met for the first time at Mystifier, which is crazy to think that We've been in each other's sort of company or around the same circle of
1: friends for twenty three years. That's mental, mate. I know. This is this is before the days before social media as well. I mean, I've known there's guys that I've known on like just the MySpace days that I've only, from the states. I've only ever met in person twice because you know I don't get really go to the states very often. But I just know each yeah. other for longer than that. they just me. oh, that takes the piss. That takes the fucking biscuit. I know, I know, and I mean it's
0: absolutely hysterical to think away back in two thousand and five. Um, I went through to Glasgow to see Mayhem. Um, and I'm standing in the queue, we're all there, and you know, and Maniac, the singer of Mayhem,'s coming out, and her on guitar. And me being a big black metal fan, you know, Hellhammer, being a legendary drummer, walks out, and I just see this wee five foot nothing uh, guy standing at the front of the queue with a Burzum Fuller Spent t shirt on, and happens to, as I heard, was, Hellhammer, you're a dobber! And I just turned round I'm like, what the fuck? And it's so like, Hellhammer turned around to be security, and you just went into a, a, a burst of whatever your Ouija banter was, and I thought, okay, hell man, he's just fucking verbally abused Hellhammer. That was, and I
1: still remember that to this day. I'm not, I was good enough, I got to go to that gig, man. I just started a new job at that point, so I never got the chance to go. I, don't know if I ever saw you're me you're three dead, times, when that was with Tilla, and they, they sucked all three times. Aye, no, I've
0: never really them with tell them. I alive, but they were really good with Maniac that gig in 2005. But Tom <laughs> call a hell hammer a dauber.
2: I don't know, man. But there's something special about seeing funeral. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Trust me, the you won't be saying that. I've seen
1: them three times with the teller. All three times with a joke. Either
0: what actually? I mean, I've, I've seen them sort of. Before well after Attila had left and they had their other vocalists and I always enjoyed them live but as soon as they uh, you know Attila came back you're right Stuart I thought they were absolutely nonsense but it's just mad that we've got 25 years they know each other I mean you were a uh, an Argonaut again, yeah you you going way back now and we just spoke the other day there and there is talking you doing another show with the boys later this year yes and
2: yes. um, we'll be doing we'll be doing our uh... Massacre reunion reunion night ten years after last one if you can believe that Um, wow that'll be be fun it's always nice to it's nice to get um, get on stage with the boys again I mean Anders my longest living mate I suppose Um, we grew up like one house apart and you know the other guys we've I mean we went our separate ways and that and like just as things happen but you know um, now I'm looking forward to it. more about that later, though, because I, I don't even know if I'm meant to telling him did that. Well, it's it's breaking news. <laughs> it's it's here. told now, man. That's it. Nobody Tell me no. So well, I'm not a jillion. That's a fucking fact. Did I you know, missed on this band,
0: one? Great band. Great band. I, I, I missed obviously that one, but I seen you way back in the sort of mid two thousands. Um, about be two thousand and three, four, and five. I think you. Know, that's
1: when you were at your sort of peak and height of your fame in the Scottish metal scene. Listen, how many times I saw them back in the day, man, those were the
0: fucking days. Aye, oh, the good old days, I know. I mean, it was just amazing, and we'll go into that, obviously, a bit with the Scottish scene, but it was thriving then, and it's thriving now. You know, there's so many bands. I mean, Tam, even for our listeners, you've actually been relatively successful, as you said, for a wee shitey black metal band from Scotland. And you've put out some cracking albums with your band, if you want to let our listeners know exactly um, a wee bit just about your music.
2: Aye, yeah, sure. Uh, basically, I play in a kind of Celtic black metal band, or whatever you want to call it. I say Ke- Celtic atmospheric metal, because black metal is a bit of a stretch, um, and then just use Scottish history and mythology to tell stories, basically, do concept albums there. It's called Rua. Um, most people, if they're watching this, they might already know it, or if you don't know it, um, you know you can always check it out. Signed to Northern Silence Productions, and uh, there's four albums that the most recent one, twelve ninety six, 1296, which is about the Scottish Wars of the Independence. I have yeah, a superb that's... album like
1: that. You get a shot sometime. It's,
2: will you? Like, it's, it's just something I started. Like, Rua's <laughs> so organic. Like, uh, I came to the conclusion... Oh, not conclusion, It's probably the bad word then. Um, so basically what happened in 2017, it was October one night um, in 2017... I just sat down with the guitar, and I just started playing this riff, and it became Where I Belong, and I already had a song written, um, which was Waiting, and I just, I decided to write an album, just because I have the, I've got a studio, basically, so writing yeah. an album for me is, I can write an album, they bother, I um, also produce, so, um, aye, it's just one of the things, organically, it just kind of spiralled a wee bit, and yeah, that's what I do now.
0: That's absolutely fantastic, I mean, I remember your first album coming out, and then now you're on your fourth album. Fifth album in the pipeline or in the works? Yes. In the works. <laughs> in the works. Well, you've probably got six and seven in the pipeline as well, the way you work.
2: Well, I mean at least you're looking at ten albums for that project with the way my brain's working. If it goes wow. past ten, then we'll see. But there's a few other things that I want to do as well. So we'll we'll see, kind of like it's one of the things about having ADHD, which I don't mind saying, is that when you're when you've got ADHD, you're your um, your focus levels only last for a wee bit, and you have to keep kind of pushing yourself a wee bit. It's like a nudge, and you get yeah. to a brick wall, and then you stop, and then you go <laughs> a few months later down the line. You'll be like, ah, you know, fuck it, I'll go back to it. You know that it's just one of these things. Creative people tend to have like wee kind of neurodivergent qualities, and yeah, I've got, I've got that. Going back to The point you made about um, knowing each other for ages, I actually, interestingly enough, by the way, right. I've known Stu Moore. He was a literal child. He went really? catty Under. under's man.
1: Aye, teenager, not child, but yeah, fucking child, mate. <laughs> yeah, we were a wee, You were
2: a wee teenager. <laughs> yeah, I was 16, 17, Yeah. Two seconds. We wow. adjust this camera.
1: That's fine, I didn't actually know you knew each other that long. You know. Oh aye. back. Of twenty years, it's a, at least, I'd say. Wow. Yeah, since, since the fucking cat house under's, yeah. When we used to bring on our own CDs and get the DJ to play them at the start, stuff that they would never normally play. To the guy was under, you know, stuff like uh, fucking. DJ Barry? Well, that's enough, yeah.
2: Uh, oh, DJ right, Barry?
1: Barry, yeah, and I remember the other guy was as well.
2: Was it Framie or something? That'll Framie, that's
1: him, um, yeah. I to those guys. God, it seems so long ago. I
0: mean, I mean, Stu, you're, you're some machine as well when it comes to gigs. I mean, you're forever on your travels to to festivals. I mean, is it keep it true? The one in
1: Germany that you're a Keep It keep True, it yeah, man, Keep It True Rising. I, it's kinda of subfest starting up a couple of years ago. Since I started going into it, I mean I've been wanting to go since I first heard about two thousand and eight, but I just never got the chance. Twenty thirteen was my first one. I've been going every year since plus uh the Keep It True Rising edition they do in the autumn like a kind of subfest because you know obviously the pandemic meant the real thing couldn't happen for like three years in a row. So but yeah I mean all of our fun, Oliver Weinzheimer, the guy that runs the festival does such a fucking good job. He gets all these bands together, like some of them, like this, is their, their first gig in like 30 odd years, and he always gets these bands that probably just started to open it up. But honestly, I don't know how many bands I've seen for that I never thought I'd ever get to see at that festival, but honestly, so many. He's I've, I've, I've ticked more, more boxes than a fucking crossword addict going to that festival, I'll tell you that. That's brilliant, though, man. I love your dedication with that. You know, it's. These days we'd scale them back to the festivals because we to sort of do actually more travelings in the world, but keep it true, keep it true rising, I will never stop going it. I mean, all he does is such yeah, a that. I know,
0: I mean, that's quality. I mean, I, I used to do the festival circuit way back in the day and it's mad that we've actually got people we know in common like Garen, Garen Ross San Francisco. Ah, yeah. I've been all over G- D- D- Germany and Finland and Norway and... I was away way in the days when Vacan was a good festival, you know, and it was only like 20,000 20, people there, opposed to now where you've got over 100 or 200,000, but it's just,
1: you know, it's Oof. just
0: recycled garbage now. It's it's not
1: what it used to be. It's absolutely a tourist attraction, not. nothing more. It's not, it's not even a festival anymore. It's a fucking tourist attraction. When am go back there and get all unless you paid me. No,
0: absolutely. So we'll talk Tough. about the festival circuit and bands, and obviously Tam will be to jump into that, but we'll do that later. But uh, we'll move on with the podcast at the moment. Um, and it's one thing I've wanted to speak about, especially, Stu, you being a, a true fan. I'm not saying me and you only, Tam, but we're more of the musician side. Obviously, we love our music. But, Stuart, I'll start with you. What's your views on this Pantera um, reunion? I mean, because obviously a lot of our listeners are big fans, and there's a whole side of it. it's like, oh, this is brilliant, they're honouring down, they're doing that. Then there's the other side saying one, they should never have been called Pantera in the first place, they should have been called, you know, a tribute to Pantera, or reinventing the steel, or the Cowboys from Hell on tour, something, but what's your actual thoughts on this whole Pantera thing, because it's all over the news at the moment.
1: Four words, no habits, no Pantera, that's all I'll say, I mean, I mean, mean, being the, um, you know I'm a fan of the 80s Pantera stuff, the stuff that, you know, the fans don't like to talk about, but to me that was their best era, I mean the only, you know, groove metal era Pantera album I really was Cowboys from Hell, like Half a Folger display, but anything else, it, it just got really kind of, you know, degenerate and kind of de- just, you know, formulaic. But, but without Dimebag and without Vinny, it's just not Pantera. But uh, again, you're right; they should have just called like a tribute to Pantera, you know, like Death did Death, Death to All and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Could have got everybody. Could have got not just Zach and Charlie, but they could have got loads of other musicians they worked with over the years or were friends with over the years. Done a tribute to the to the Abbott Brothers. I mean, they could have even got Terry Lee He's back to do some one or two tracks from the the '80s, but. Uh, I mean, that's obviously less likely to happen than... Aye. What was your it's thoughts, easy Tam? Easy. Are you a big fan of it?
0: Sorry? I mean, I'm, I'm saying, Tam, I am like I know obviously you're not the biggest Pantera fan. I'm sure you were in your, your younger days um, nah. with metal. But, but what's your overall view about this package? Because for me, I just think it's a money. A money earner for the band. It's not really about Pantera, well, if you ask me.
2: Don't play devil's advocate here, which is often the kind of way I find myself in these conversations. I mean, Phil Anselmo's got a right to use the material, right? Because he was part in, you know, performing, writing the material and whatever else. And it's not that we're talking about Dinebag or the Abbott brothers in general still actually being alive. If they were alive and he did it, then I'd be like, right, this is absolute shite. Mm -hmm. But I don't have a problem with it, just simply down to the fact that it's not like the alternative was possible. So calling it Pantera doesn't really make it any less Pantera So, they're still playing the Pantera stuff. And Zach does a good job, although he doesn't play Dimebag solos. And I think that's the thing that I like about it is that he doesn't try and replicate Dimebag solos because he's no Dimebag. Dimebag is Dimebag. And if you get somebody to try and play his fucking solos... I mean, you you play guitar as well, Stuart, so you know perfectly well solos are personal to the guitarist. There's a style and a quality that each guitarist has. And it's kind of their own stamp. If Zach Wilde, and he probably could play the bag stuff note for note, right? But the fact that he does now, that actually gives it a wee bit more credence in my opinion. And I think that it gives people a chance that never seen Pantera to to see a version of Pantera. I'm not really that bothered about it. I think there's, there's a lot worse things in the world than, you know, a metal band trying to hang on to their fame for a wee bit. I'm actually more pissed off about Judas Priest than anything else. I mean... For me, it's K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton. Without the two of them, it's what's the point? I'm not pissed off about works. Slayer. And I know that the Slayer thing is shit, because obviously Jeff Hanneman's dead, but, you know, I, I just... At least with Pantera, Zach Wilde brought something different, a new flavour to it, and I, I think you can at least get on board with that.
0: I mean, the whole thing with Judas Priest, I think it works amazing. You know, Faulkner's amazing on guitar. They've got Andy Sneep, Halford's doing the job. Um... I've got no problem with what Judas Priest are doing at the moment. Um, Slayer, on the other hand, if you've seen the news, speculation, uh, Kerry King's getting together with um, Paul Bostaff on drums, and it could be Phil on uh, vocals. So there's this talk that it might be called Slayer Inc, or some sort of incarnation of Slayer, without Tom
1: Mariah. And it's like, that can't happen. Slayer died when Jeff Hanneman cr- died for me, man. That's, so whatever that is, it will not be a part of it. I, I, I want to find
2: out I want to find out why they keep falling out with Dave Lombardo. That's why. Like know every Dave. couple of years, they fucking fall out with the guy. He's like the best fucking drummer, one of in the world, in my uh, opinion, absolutely. in terms of his Couldn't quality. Oh. But like for whatever reason, I don't know if it's a Kerry King thing, but then Kerry King strikes me as a bit of a prick.
1: And yeah, I don't mean that in a
2: bad way. People have well, a yeah, bit of a, 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 a prick. prick.
1: Well, you'd be too if you had a girl's name, for fuck's sake.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Aye, say that to <laughs> his face. Say that to his face. He's a fucking beast. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but but the
0: the, the talk was that it was um, basically Alan Selma on vocals, Paul Bostaff on drums, Kerry King on guitar, and maybe a couple of the members sort of filling the gaps, but um, he's just bitter because Tom and I didn't want to tour anymore, he wanted to spend time with his family and Kerry's now coming out online saying oh, you know, we, we, we quit too soon and all the rest of it, so he's going to try and do some sort of incarnation of Slayer and live off
1: that name, it's
2: like, nah, man, you can't do that. Me. Yeah, well, to be honest,
1: last time I saw Slayer in 2010 at Vakon, and, uh Araya was just basically a statue. I mean, he did not have the energy ah, of Slayer they had back in the day, so you could tell it was only a matter of time before Slayer went and call it quits, but, I mean, Je- I mean, Dave Lombardo quit and was the first nail in the coffin, but as soon as Hanneman died, that was it. You knew they weren't going to go on for much longer. I mean, Gary Holt, great guitarist, love Exodus, but his sound just doesn't suit Slayer. It didn't even, that it line, f- didn't even sound like Slayer. It sounded more like a, a thrash supergroup. I mean
2: that—that's because Gary Holt adheres to musical scales and melody. Yes. Slayer are not about melody; they're about intensity. And if you don't have that kind of—I don't know—like dissonant kind of weird fucking scale thing that Slayer uses, no, it's not even a scale, I don't think. But like, if you don't have that, then it takes away from that recipe of what Slayer is. But let, let's be honest, right? I mean. As somebody that was a massive, and I mean a massive Slayer fan at one point, I was huge on Slayer. Nah,
0: overrated. They I
2: have done, they have done nothing at all. What a fuck since seasons of Mist. Seasons in the yeah, abyss. Seasons
1: yeah. in the abyss. Yeah, no, no, seasons I mean, I mean, as is is a label as well. Yeah, I mean, don't get yeah. I me mean, wrong. Uh, well painted blood was decent. I mean, uh, intervention was good, but a bit same. But, but anything after that, I mean, that was a musical. We know how bad that was. But what not about but, drag- but shit. He-
0: Alright, me and Tam spoke about this the other day there, right? What about Hell Awaits and Haunting the Chapel, right? Slayer were not a thrash band. They were actually doing speed black metal very much in the same vein as Venom and Possessed.
1: And Celtic Frost as well, you look at the early, uh, the early stuff in Hellhammer. I mean, I? I mean uh, No Mercy could have easily been uh, had Tom D. Warrior involved in it. You know, if yeah. you think about it. But, but Slayer that's always... an album. Slayer were a sort of
0: speed thrash blackened band, but they were never thrash metal. And I've never ever seen them as being a thrash metal band. For me, Destruction, Creator, all the sort of German
1: wave was a pure thrash metal to me. Early Sepultura, I mean, they were fucking ah. pioneers. Yeah, you know, called, uh, Top uh, Text Testament, Exodus, they were more of the kind of this, mainstreamy stuff.
0: They were, they absolutely were. I mean, we'll speak about it later. I'm a ridiculously massive Megadeth fan, like you are an Iron Maiden fan. Megadeth were never a thrash metal band. They were speed metal in the early days, and then they exactly. became a sort of more. But they were never thrash. I mean, I don't know. Metallica's first album's not a thrash album. It's fucking
1: punk. It's speed yeah. metal. Yeah. yeah. so what, not, I mean, you look at their first album, it was proper, really raw, almost kind of punky, like like Venom's debut. But then when they got signed to a big label, then they jumped in the thrash bandwagon. and had more of a straightforward thrash sound. I mean, you look, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, you're right about the whole German band thing, though, because, I mean, you look at, like, Destruction, Creator, Sodom, Exhumer, and... Tanker and all that, they were a, a much more thrash than any, like, any of the American bands. Absolutely. But, like, Nuclear Assault and, uh, fucking Testament and Overkill. But we Overkill, my favourite thrash band, best one ever for me, but, uh, I mean, the Canadian bands, I mean, like Razor and Voivod and all that, and Slaughter and Imperial Majesty, they all had a, a specific uniqueness about each band. That's why I love the Canadian yes. scene so much. And, uh, the UK scene was just basically copying the American scene, but Still doing it really well, but... There was no Sabbath, Sabbath,
0: were a, Sabbath were a great example of a, a sort of traditional thrash band coming out exactly, of Exactly, yeah. they, they, they were absolutely... But now we're sort of talking about reunions. We've got the Pantera. Maybe, you know, it could be just, you know, what internet's like making up stuff. But for me, what's your views on Sepultura? Because I went... So once Max Cavalera left, I loved what Sepultura done afterwards. I could never follow what Max Cavalera did with Soulfly. But a lot of people are like, they should have just called it a day. And when Sepultura moved on with Andreas Kizar and Paolo Jr., they should have started a whole new name and just let Sepultura finish where it was. I mean, I we spoke about earlier, Stu. You, you said anything from KOCD upwards
1: is not your cup of tea. Yeah, well, KOCD itself had a couple of good songs on it. That was their black album for me. You could tell that was it. I mean, Roots is new metal garbage. I could not get into it at all. Anything, I mean, without without the Cavalier Brothers, it's just not Sepultura. I mean, Sofly. Was never a big fan of the music, but I only went to see them live because I wanted to hear Max do the old Sepultura numbers better than the actual Sepultura. But, uh, Cavalier the Conspiracy was the same. I mean, that first album they did was interesting, but again, it just lacked that, that Sepultura spark. But when they did a couple of tunes, I was happy as fuck. But this current, um, Cavalier reunion thing that's going on right now, if, when, they, when they're doing all the early Sepultura stuff, I would go see that yeah. live in a second. But, they, but the fact that they're re-recording the old stuff, no. Just I know. What? See, so I'm on the same with you. They've done
0: Bestial Devastation and Morbid Visions. They've re-recorded them and it's like, why? And then the, the fans are jumping out saying, well, if you want to go back and listen to the older ones, you can, but let them do this. That'd be like saying fucking Metallica going back and redoing Kill 'em All or, you know, Slayer going back saying, oh, we're going to re-record the uh, Angel of Death. What was the album? Fucking Rain of Blood. Nah, nah. let albums be. Imagine Black Sabbath going back and re-recording
1: their first ever album. It'd just be like, no man, yeah, or Led like, Zeppelin, mean, or any band. It's like, yeah, remember Tam? I mean, you're probably going to hate me for saying this, Tam, but you remember when man of War re- re-recorded battle hymns and kings of Metal? For me, that was just blasphemy. There was no. Point. Oh, want to hear this one? Want to hear this one? What did you do that? I that time? <laughs> That's what we won't
2: hear for a time. Right. Um. For anybody who can guess, my name is Tam O'War, So, like, you know, I've always been massive into man of War probably less religiously now um, than back in the day, but right, so I'm torn on this because every song that they've re-recorded on the album is complete duck shite, right? (laughs) But there is always a caveat, right? Listen to Battle Hymns in Isolation, the new version. It's in standard D instead of standard E, right? Production's class, Can't say that about the rest of the album. And, do you know what it reminds me of? When I seen Manowar at Earthshaker in 2006. It's the same fucking performance. It's basically how they played it live. So, of course, I've got a soft spot for it. Is it the original? No. Can it touch the original? Can it fuck? But, I enjoy a tea bag, right? And a cup of tea. But I prefer loose leaf tea. Strange analogy. But it's the same fucking thing. Two things can exist in the same space. One can be better and one can be worse without them being terrible. However, everything else they recorded in that album was complete dug shite. And the same goes for all of the re-released albums. But that's because Joey DeMeo is a walking joke.
1: <laughs> At this I'm point. He's yeah. a man I mean, refusing to do it, Absolutely. people travel thousands of miles to meet him.
2: Uh, his big spoken word tour. I
1: know. <laughs> who the hell is... No, just anyone who buys a ticket for that belongs to the fucking sex offenders register.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, I don't think you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, we're going to keep that in. We're it's just, right. just going to keep that in, man. It's alright, right.
0: people are going to watch this on YouTube and just see Stu with the mullet and be like, he can get away with anything he wants. And for anyone that's watching this um, on YouTube, um, and if you're listening to the audio version, whether it be on Spotify, iTunes, or any the platforms, if you've never seen Still Game, which is the greatest comedy ever to come out of Scotland, I suggest oh, you yeah. watch it and look at the barman and then look at this guy here, Stuart, two pints prick, because he is a reincarnation of Bobby the Barman without a shadow well, well, of well, a
3: doubt.
0: <laughs> I'm waiting on that now
1: for me and Tam actually. Well, well, I well, actually I had a Mitchell for my mullet when he came in to see me. Honestly. Yeah, I've been, I've been serving him for years. He said, "Love the haircut." And I was like, "Hey, you were the inspiration," and he said, "I approve." So hey, I got Bobby the barman. <laughs> Brilliant.
2: Do it. You know, I I genuinely had an idea, and I said this to Stuart the other day when we were chatting, like kind of setting all this up. And I says, "We should do a Halloween, right?" He uh-huh. can go as uh, Victor. I'll go as Jack Jack Jarvis. he can be Victor McDade, and you can be Bobby the barman.
1: Sounds good to me. I, I,
2: I, that would be fucking dynamite, man. <laughs> will
1: we'll do it. For anyone listening, just, reason, we'll, we'll do reason, the we of eyebrows, get a flannel shirt and comb a wee bit.
0: Aye, I know. But aye, so obviously just finishing up on that part of the podcast here, you know, for me, going back and re recordings is a no-no because if you're listening to Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, The Eagles, or you want to look at Early Emperor, Dark Throne, Bursem, or or bands, Destruction, I think it's like a painting. It's like watching an old movie. It captures that time, it captures where the bands were at. It's got that raw atmosphere when Metallica were not millionaires. They were just living out of fucking back of a truck to in America, hungry for success. And they're they're writing from their hearts. Whereas the black album is more, you know, it was influenced by record labels and earning multi million. So I think re recording that would be like someone saying, right, we're just gonna bend the Mona Lisa and we're gonna repaint it as a twenty twenty three version, and that's it. You can't fucking do that. God, I'll turn a Those few. Are-
2: There's a perfect term for this, right? And throughout this podcast, people are going to realize that I'm going to use a lot of analogies and kind of weird phrases that just come to my brain because I can't not use them. And to me, it's perfectly imperfect. That's what you want for music. You want it to be, in a sense, organic. You want mistakes and you want reality because the more you polish these things out, the more, yeah, it probably sounds fine to the person that's doing it. But when you're a listener and you're listening to these things, it makes you kind of die a wee bit inside. You're like, oh, why did you fucking auto-tune that vocal? Like, oh, why did you quantize those drums? Why did you do this and that and the next thing? And everybody's guilty of it to an extent because people want to be perfect, but the pursuit of perfection kills the feeling and the emotion of music. Yeah. I mean, it just, for me,
0: it just takes me back to being eight, nine-year-old, you know, when my stepdad... We put "Kill 'Em All" on the vinyl, and hearing the you know, the scratch on the vinyl, and just listen to that intro, you know, Largi's shitty drumming, and then just that pick scrape right, and you hit the lights, and it's like that feeling that goes through your body is like, man, that's incredible. To think if they, I'm not saying they'll ever do it, but you know, if they re-recorded that today, I would just be like, man, I can't believe you did that. You've taken a part of my my youth away, and it's just nah, no for me, not for me at all.
2: Known Metallica, they'd probably get some fucking rapper do the fucking chorus or something like that, uh, because it, you think, know. Kid
1: rocked a guest on fucking uh, Sad But True. But
0: True. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> or oh, Miley, <laughs> Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus and Elton John doing nothing
1: else matters. Hey, do you remember if fucking have a Levine-covered Fuel at MTV Icon Metallica all those years ago? And corn, corn done one.
3: <laughs> oh. I know,
1: I mean, VH1's, VH1's 40 Least Metal Moments Metallica popped up at least three times from when they cut their hair short to that cover of fucking uh, Fuel by Avril Lavigne, and when they lost the, the first ever Metal Grammy in 1988 to fucking Jethro Tull. I know, I know, they were devastated. That was the Injustice For All album. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, lost that it was it. a Metal Big It really just shows you how stupid people were back then.
2: That's what you fucking get for mixing the bass out of that album. It's fucking shameful. Listen to Injustice For All. It's a cracking album, but where the fuck is the bass guitar? Really was like Jason, Jason shouldn't have bothered his ass turning up to the recordings he said, they just went we are going to mix it down anyway I'm not going to do it well Look they,
1: it. Well, when they released know. it with the, the bass on it eventually I listened to both that and the original I can hardly even tell the difference
0: I, 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 I 100% could hear the difference when they added the bass on but for me I'm a purist. I like Injustice for All how it is because that's how I first heard it. So I know no different. So when I heard the bass on it, was like, oh my god, that's a bit fucking, you know, it just didn't suit it for some reason. That's just my personal was, opinion.
2: Was, was the story of that, right, was that not down to the fact that they wanted Injustice for All to sound the same on every single thing that you listen to? Be it a tiny speaker, a big speaker, a CD, a tape. It, they wanted everything to sound and have parity. What they did was they just took away bass frequencies. That's and, right. And that's why it's weaker. And if you honestly, right, it, it's strange because previous recordings, right, talking about the analog and digital thing from a producer's perspective, if you look at things for few years ago, yes, they're thinner, but they're also warmer, right? They have right. a warmth to them. Whereas yeah. when it switched to digital, everything had the same kind of thinness, but it, it kind of felt really plasticky. Probably the, um, the... There's a few examples of that is, that yeah. I can...
1: It didn't have that rawness that it had back in the day, you no, It just seemed... It's so fucking polished and just pampered and... digital. oh, aye. It's fucking compressed. It's like a beautiful woman that's spent more time with the fu- on the, getting her fucking hair and makeup done to the point where she just loses her natural beauty. Uh, fucking
2: fillers, mate.
0: Oh, mate. <sighs> now, that's another That's another podcast discussion, man. I all. Absolutely <laughs> mental. guys. are absolutely right. I mean it's that's not attractive. A of, and a lot, a lot of people say to me, you know, what, what are you listening to today? And I'll be like, what I've been listening to for the last thirty odd oh, years. It's still the same stuff because for me, the it stuff did. with the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. You just well not the nineties. I think the nineties was quite shite for metal, but especially the eighties. And then in the two thousands, when Iron Maiden got back together for the Brave New World, that sort of gave a wee spark to the, the underground metal scene again. You know, because Maiden were back with Bruce and that song. What was the Oh, what's that song? The first single on that Brave New World, name, uh,
2: man. You know what I'm yeah, Wicker Aye,
0: Man. Brilliant. Everyone was like, "Fuck," you know, Maiden are back again. Papa Roach and Lincoln Parker fucking bend. There's
2: Can so m- many choruses on that album as well. There's so many choruses on Brave New World that you just—it's hands in the air stuff, man. It's proper vintage Maiden choruses, and that's why it works. It's perfect,
1: well, Jim. Metal just back. I mean, uh, I mean, it it was, was not, it was. Well, about the metal scene in the nineties. I mean, it was only shit in the mainstream. See if you knew where to look. You got some good stuff. there, and he like you had all the death metal stuff and uh, even had some really good doom like what? Cathedral and uh, even some of uh, Electric Wizards early stuff. But see, in the mid-90s, uh, when you look at the, all the power metal bands that were being formed and trying to re- you know, bring back the old school maiden... Okay, Hammerfall? Hammerfall, Hammerf- 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 like, like, Wolf, Sacred Steel. I mean, they were, they were bringing True. that kind of stuff back in a time when it couldn't be in its lowest. I know and yeah, look it. at bands like look at bands like Children of Boredom,
0: Hypocrisy, Why? all these sort of bands. They were huge. Now for me, people say to me, watch some of your favourite albums that all came from the mid nineties. Robert Angel <laughs> Dominate, ninety five, Dearside Once Upon a Cross, ninety five, Death Symbolic, nineteen ninety five, Anthems to the Welkin at Dusk, nineteen ninety five, Emperor, Battles of the North, Immortal, nineteen ninety five. It's like fucking Cannibal Corpse Vile, nineteen
2: ninety-five. It was True a up. boom. Yeah. You need a up. time machine, mate. we, we yeah. know exactly where to send you Get a time machine, send you back to 1995 and you can live your happy life. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what I had for my dinner on the 23rd of April, of 1995. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> well, well, on this day in 1995, one of my favourite childhood movies came out, fucking Power Rangers the movie. And that had a fucking good soundtrack.
2: It uh, did,
3: actually.
1: The Power Rangers theme tune with Eric Martin from Mr. Big on vocals and Matt Sorum on drums. But I didn't know that. Wow. Well, there you go. you got to check. Well, check out the movie version of Google Power Rangers, I mean Eric Martin from Mr Big is doing vocals, Matt Sorum from Guns N' Roses is doing drums I mean, that's
0: the most metal thing I've But I think I remade think him with the saviours in terms of bringing bands back into the sort of limelight with Brave New World because that was when Slipknot, Papa Roach Coal Chamber, Machine Head a eh, more things changing moving forward that was all at its height and then all of a sudden Bruce is back, we made the next minute Halloween are back in the the talk again, you know, back and open to gets to its biggest. Well, start of its two thousand ones when it with Debbie Borgier and you know metal started to go again. So Maiden, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure it was um, the X Factor album tour with Blaze Bailey at the Barrowlands. That was
3: yeah,
0: the me. I was fucking shocked because that was the first time I'd seen Maiden, and I went and the Barrows was just. I was like, what's going on here? I'd just seen maybe two months before. Um, Slayer on the Divine Intervention tour with Machine Head and Meshuggah and Machine Head exploded with Burn My Eyes packed and then Iron Maiden the bar is half empty I'm like "What is going on here and I like the X Factor I mean some was it the Klansman was on on that X-Factor album 11. what was it Virtual Eleven and that song yeah, I mean, Falling Down Falling Down oh, Man on the Edge I, yeah. I
1: loved it I thought they were great albums <laughs> yeah, they, were the best. they weren't bad albums they, just, they were just weak compared to the rest of the stuff I mean X-Fash was a tough time for Steve. You know, he just lost his dad. He was going through a divorce, and like you said, Maiden's popularity was waning because of the metal, the way the metal scene was changing in general. So they, they incorporated a lot of kind of dark themes into that album to go with what the band and Steve and the band themselves were going through. I mean, yeah. you know, back on it, it's, it's it's not actually that bad, but when you compare it to stuff that just come before or even the stuff that came after, it's definitely the weakest point. I mean, Virtual Eleven was like a slight step up, but only mainly because you said the Klansman.
2: I that's what it made. Ah, me
1: it's nice a, a, a song, though. I, I know, just, I just remember
0: all that whole period coming out. I think it was that when they'd done the, the photo shooting, they're in the football strips and all that stuff, the yeah, we're, football we're, we're
3: kit. Level,
1: yeah. yeah, that's I, right. I
0: remember that was... I mean, that was the sort of maiden that I liked. I mean, I, mean, I know at the start of the podcast, do it take the piss, you know, I say they're overrated. I mean, Power Slave and all that stuff, Somewhere in Time, what an album. I mean, Jesus, Best what album. an album. Fear the, yeah, Fear of the Dark. I mean, made it... For me, my favourite one's... Um, Oh, The Clairvoyant and, oh, what's that? Seven Sun. That album from start to finish is flawless. I mean, that is up there with the gods as one of the greatest albums that's ever been released.
2: Oof. Their, their, op- their magnum opus is uh, definitely somewhere in time. It's You just, it is the best and you, should have them, you should be been to see them era. on this tour
1: because I played five yeah. tracks off that album the Gun tour. Do
2: you know, Stu, Stu I wanted to because Alexander the Great is my favourite maiden song. But it was also Kim's birthday that day and oh. she fucking hates Iron Maiden. So <laughs> Yep. No who else she hates man of War. I can't fucking listen to Man of War in my House. By God man, This is gonna turn into Now for, no, for any for any of our
1: listeners listening in
2: here, um
1: you
0: know, as I said at the start, I respect Iron Maiden. As musicians, Adrian Smith, one of the greatest guitar players in metal. Nobody's like him. He's got his own unique tone and everything. But when I was growing up and Maiden was in the, the family house, it was Halloween, you know, I want out. As soon as I heard that, I was like, fuck. And it was a guitar player, Kai Hansen, you know, with that guitar soul and the dual harmonies. That just resonated more with me, Halloween, than it did with Ida Maiden for some reason. But I, uh, Halloween for me are just <sighs> got to see them at Bloodstock
1: actually in about eight weeks time. Cannot wait. I till, have you seen them with the current lineup, with all three singers, The Pumpkins United, yet? I
0: haven't. No, I've seen I've seen them twice over the last twenty years in Germany, but I've not
1: seen this incarnation of Halloween. Saw them last year in Manchester. Best gig of the decade, I think, man. Honestly, It's wow. yes. I mean, <laughs> it all opened up for them. They were good as well when they weren't playing the new stuff. But honestly, that Halloween show—it was just, I mean, perfect as an understatement, man. You'll be you'll be fucking blown away. I mean, I wish you'd been at that gig, man. You'd have left the venue crying tears of fucking joy. It was uh, so uh, special. All three of them still work. Kai can still do it. Andy can still do it. Mike can still do it better than he's ever fucking done, even though he's not going any to hear anymore. <laughs> but all seeing them all, all three of them sing together, all the classes like I want out, oh you, you will you will melt. You'll fucking melt. And then Kai Kai Hansen can still smoke a hundred fags and no what about his voice, he can just worry about playing guitar on stage and not doing what he does best. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean I don't know what's gonna with Gameray these days, but hey, as long as he's doing this stuff at hell, we never give a fuck. Yeah, that's another band special to my heart. Is Gamma Ray? That album, Power
0: Plant, changed my life. I'm not joking you. That was colossal. When I heard that, when that came out, what I was like two thousand something, two thousand one, two thousand one. Something like that. I mean. And then I seen them at Vacan in two thousand two or something like that, and fuck, oh, they just blew me away. You know, it was just pure. So that's why I preferred that sort of Kai Hansen. The German accept all that sort of style of metal opposed to the, the new wave of British heavy
1: metals we would call it. wild and stuff like Wave Digger and uh, Scanner, if you've ever heard Scanner, I don't know if you like uh, Yeah, I have. Ah oh, they're fucking I'm dying to see them live, man. Twice i minute meant to see them fucking cancelled. Well oh,
3: shit.
1: Yeah, but that first album, Hyper Trace, I've got that in vinyl, honestly. It was like Gamma ray before Gamma Ray, you know, space themed power metal. And Iron Saviour, is they were a fucking good band when I saw them live. I what they were a good band.
0: Right, so, enough of this, I made nonsense. This is going to be something interesting to talk about because, one, Cam, you've uh, been touring with your band, I'm not sure, but you've done some festival appearances and stuff, and Stuart, you're a, an international traveller um, with concerts, obviously I've been going out to the States on other uh, business, but Devin Townsend just basically came out and said that after this current tour in America with Dream Theatre, he's not going to tour for about five years because, one, through COVID, his mental health is at an all-time low, and, two, he cannot believe how much it is to actually tour now. So Live Nations and Ticketmaster, I've just said, I've got this to the side of me here, are charging ridiculous amounts of money for a ticket, and then on top of that, they're wanting 30% of merch.
1: That's ridiculous. On top no. of that.
0: So, so basically, Devon Towns is like, well, what's the point of us even going on the road? You know, we spend 10, 15 grand up front, get all the t-shirts, hoodies, all that, and then when we run out, we've made a profit, we can go and buy again. It's like 30% on top of, they're having to, obviously, through ticket sales as well. It's ridiculous. I mean, Tom, I'll go with you as a musician and usually should also speak to a lot of guys that are on the road and being touring and all the rest of it. Are you seeing a, You know, is it impacting even right down to the underground?
2: Um, what I'm seeing uh, is in line with that, but certainly one of the things that people don't talk about that is an impactful uh, like kind of cause and effect scenario is basically because people don't buy physical media, right? So people don't buy CDs, they don't buy records, and they, they don't actually buy music. They get it for free or for cheap with a monthly subscription to Spotify or whatever it is that they use. Each play gives you zero, 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 zero point 000000.1 of a penny or Aye, something like that. Right? So it's a pittance. Even somebody like Devin Townsend, who. The music industry used to be kind of self sustaining in that people would buy the stuff they liked. Advertising was designed so people would buy the stuff that was being released by the labels. Yeah. And the labels would offer a band in advance to ensure that they have, you know, the right stuff to record with, as well as, you know, the, the right stuff to promote their videos and all that stuff. Now what you have is bigger bands that probably have got to a stage where, previously, they would be making an absolute killing, right? If people still bought CDs. The Aye. difference is, you look at an Iron Maiden, you look at a Megadeth, and you look at any of these bands that are established and loved, people still buy the albums. More people will buy the physical CD, the physical vinyl, because they've grew up with that media. But I... The people that listen to Devin Townsend came into life into metal at a time when that had finished. So what you're seeing is more and more of these bands, these kind of newer, bigger bands, I say newer, but we're using that in comparison to likes Omega and Iron Maiden, right? So more of these kind of bigger, newer bands are going to struggle to make ends meet because they don't have people buying, one, the physical media, and then you've got scumbag venues taking 30% of merch cuts, which is disgraceful. Disgraceful. So much so that underground bands have taken to Facebook and all these other platforms to voice their disgust at being charged 30% of their merch that they then have to up their merch costs by 30% because what people don't realise is you're not operating in a high profit margin. A t-shirt probably costs you £4.55, right? If there's a double-sided print or something like that, per unit. So you take that into consideration, you sell it for 8 to 10 You sell it even for 15 right? You have to remember that, yes, that's covering the cost, but these bands are also paying their own fucking costs for travel, usually food. their own costs for accommodation, food, living, all that bollocks. The industry's killing itself, put it that way. That's what's happening.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll go two points for that. I mean, what, sorry, Stuart, what was interesting was... I went to see cannibal cops at the barras, 80 quid for a hoodie, 80 pounds. Aye, for a long sleeve t-shirt was 55, and for a beanie was 40 quid. Jesus, a fucking Just beanie? A beanie, right. But on the other side, I'm not going to name the band, but they're playing the Barrowlands with a well-known Norwegian band. They're selling, so the gig's next year, but they're selling their tour merch that they're going to have for that now in advance, so fans can buy it on whatever platform, band camp, whatever, instead of having to go to the bars because they're going to have to pay 30%, or sorry, they're going to lose 30% on the merchandise. And they're an underground band with all full-time jobs and Lidl's, Tesco's, all the rest of it. They're an opportunity to tour with a massive band and you're still having to lose 30%. So on their profile, they're selling all the merchandise so fans can buy it. So you're not having to hump all this shit at a gig as well.
2: I know the band you're talking about and I won't name names for obvious reasons. But, Aye. again, that is proof to what I've just said. If they're having to sell their merch in advance of the gig so people don't get ripped off, I've seen people set up outside the venues now instead Cops of selling grader, it in Cops the venue.
0: Corpse Grader from Cannibal Corpse came out of the tour bus and told the guys that were selling the bootleg t-shirts to piss off because they were only charging a tenner. And the same t-shirt inside was 55 quid.
2: <laughs> but what I've actually well, seen, really though, right, sure, is... I've, I've seen I'm bands... I've seen bands put it online that they will sell their merch, their own merch, not knockoffs, outside of the building to avoid the thirty percent wow. costs. Wow! That's outside, gonna
1: be outside the back of, of a fucking I think, van. I think a lot. Of, I think a lot of bands are going to start doing that now. If you know, if the costs don't start going down, because I mean that's the only way they're going to make make a profit from all these things. I mean, but I don't I know what the venue guys going to say, but since it's happening outside the venue, fuck all these guns can do about it. So. I think fans are going to have down. to start doing that from now on. Or, or if, if they're saying, oh, you can't do it inside the venue, you could
0: just say, right, over the boozer, over the road, speak to the bar manager saying, listen, we'll give you a bit of 100 quid if you allow 50 fans to come in and buy some merch. You're also getting turnover at the bar for a couple of pints.
1: Exactly, so, yeah. There's a way around it. I remember when I went to cq was- a few years ago where they didn't realise that they needed, um, I think it was like a, a permit or something, to be able to sell, sell their merch right, abroad and have a license. So... They couldn't sell us any t-shirts, so they fucking gave us them for free, and they were losing money. I mean, that is generosity at its finest. Me and my mate Sandra, we got a free t-shirt each from Q5 because they didn't have a permit to actually sell the merch on tour because they they, they, never, they never applied for one. They didn't really they didn't know they needed to. So they weren't, they weren't oh, it's like it's selling illegal. So they had to, we had to get one for free each. I mean, I mean, obviously we bought them a couple of beers to say thank you, but you know that was uh, oh, that was the most generous movements I've ever heard.
0: Right, but it's mental though because I spoke to somebody at the Cannibal Cops gig. It's sold out. You got a ticket on Ticketmaster secondary site, sixty-five quid they've paid to go see Cannibal at the Barras, right? And then on top good? of that, the hum- is no, the original ticket was like twenty-five or twenty-two quid, but that was including Dark funeral. Um, Storm Ruler, uh, you, I uh, think you're friends with the boys on Facebook, and it was yeah, another Manchester sort of slam band. I can't remember their name. Anyway. So, the boy's paid 50 odd quid for a ticket on a secondary site, and then he's going with his laddie, and it's cost him about 200 quid to buy merchandise inside the venue. I mean, what? It's absolutely
2: scandalous. What, I want to I mean, openly condemn oh, t- fucking ticket scalpers and any equation. There, I there think be a they are the scumbags, man. I know. Like, see, anybody that buys four tickets to something to sell them. See, anybody that buys a ticket for the purpose of sale, right, I get capitalism, right? I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm anti-capitalist or whatever else, but you make money where you can, right? and yeah. demand and all that bollocks. Is that right? But that is blatant taking the fucking cunt out of somebody. That's all it is, especially in the cost-of-living crisis. Aye,
0: yeah. that is absolutely mental, and, and this is not metal-related, but we're actual diehard fans of sports. Now, look at the NFL. The teams come over to the UK to play London, They play Tottenham, They play Wembley. Tickets are coming out, you know, cheapest tickets, 70 quid. you're way up in the, the amount. But by the time that goes to the secondary, people are paying up to three, four hundred pounds just to go see the Ravens, or it's like, wait a minute here. Like, how is that possible? And then I heard that Beyonce paid Edinburgh eh, just recently, and it was three it was up to three hundred pounds a ticket. She was only seeing sixteen quid of that per ticket. All the rest of it's through corporate, through fucking ticketmaster, and all the rest of it. There has to be a loss. something has to stop saying when you buy a ticket. It's got to be sold through a secondary site with a photograph. I don't know how it's going to work, but something has to come out of it. Because, I mean, have you found that you're obviously a massive concert goer, Stuart? I mean, you're over Europe, you're
1: all over. Have you noticed a big difference after COVID as well? Oh, a huge difference, man. I mean, not not, not just for the, for the price of tickets, but the fact that, that the merch as well and the venues themselves, plus travel obviously has had to, is like nearly doubled in certain places. I mean, I don't remember... I think it was uh, one of the last times I went I went to London for a gig. It was like the mega bus you were talking about, ten fifteen quid return. Now it's ah, you're talking about yeah. 30, 35, and that's the overnight mega bus. That's the cheapest option available. I mean, I use it quite a lot. London, London's not the cheapest city in in Europe, as you know. I mean, it's probably the most expensive city in the UK. Uh, but really I mean, now, now it's just taking the fucking piss. It's, it's getting closer to fucking Denmark and Norway than it is to fucking the rest of England. I mean, prices. I mean, since not- COVID, I mean, gigs and obviously, you know. Merch and food and booze and all that are no exception. But uh, I mean, Brexit as well, Brexit killed it. Absolutely absolutely killed it. Everything killed I mean, there's different I different was selling tours because of that.
0: I, I was selling through five star Super Bowl pr- programs, and a guy bought one in Germany. So we were getting a minute, oh, about fifteen quid a pop. Now, for to get that shipped to Germany, plus do the conversion rate and everything, guys paid the best part of fifty quid. Just for a Super Bowl program, just to be posted a piece of paper to Germany, it's like hey, fuck. I went to the post office and I was like, I had to contact the gentleman and say, listen, it's going to cost you the best part of fifty pound now. We had just boxed it in; it was going to be like twenty six quid, including the envelope, the postage, the whole thing. That was double. It was double just to post to Germany. It's like fucking Jesus.
2: Fucking. Insane, I don't want to. I don't want to get down a political rabbit hole because at the end of the day, everybody has varying political opinions, and I, I would hope that. We cater for everybody and no just one kind of person. But I mean, one thing I would say, just the only thing I'll mention on Brexit, and then I'm not having any, I won't mention it. Yeah, yeah, by the way, by the way. Um, So I think Brexit is used as an excuse to hike prices up by a lot of companies and by a lot of government bodies. I think the cost of Brexit, fair enough, there is a cost, but it's an inflated cost because people are taking the piss, like the energy costs. etc there's massive profits being made there is no energy crisis do you know what i mean it's because the money can be made they will make it that's the problem
1: yeah they're just taking advantage of that fact and using that just to keep the fucking profits coming up and just to rip the the piss out of the the taxpayer and the general public i mean the the pandemic as well i mean a lot of that that's caused a lot of a, a few price hikes but again companies are using that as an excuse uh, yeah. Just to get the money no, I mean, a lot of them haven't even lost that much money because of COVID. I mean, there was furlough and all that, there was government grants. I mean, okay, it wasn't 100% what they had before, but now they're just using it as an excuse. You, got, you you can't trust any of these big fucking corporate fat cats these days. Well, people are like, oh,
0: you know, people are not going to pay these inflated prices for tickets. But at the end of the day, if Metallica announced a ticket tomorrow at Hampden or Murrayfield and it's 500 quid, there's people out there that won't pay 500 fucking quid. They'll just pay
2: it. So are the people the day, out there that will pay three times the cost. Because and, that's what fandom is. That's what it is to be a fan. And you don't and people are to the cashing cost. in
0: on that. People are cashing in, as you just yeah. said there, camp the fandom. And the you know, poor exactly. people like, like, like yourselves do. I mean, I, I go down to London regularly on the, the, the bus. Um, and you wake up at 6, 7 in the morning at Victoria Station. It's fantastic. And I was getting it for like 20 quids. And I was like, this is a bargain because you get to sleep overnight. And I've just looked at it for something coming up. It's about 35, 40 quids. I know, it's so ridiculous. I, I was like, fucking for, a, for an extra 25 quid, I can fly EasyJet. Precisely, yeah. And it's I'll a bus. in five minutes. A, I know, I'm <laughs> supposed to, a, but before, you know, you were looking like, oh, I'm not going to pay £60 for a flight, I'll get a bus for 20 quid. Whereas now, they're almost the same when you're on a bus.
1: It's just like, Precisely, something's yeah, got, you, got to give. Weeks in advance. I mean, uh, I was getting the piss out at me for not paying, you know, money to go see Guns N' Roses or, you know, the the, the most recent gig at Bell. He's a you, did, did, did you see them again, it's like. 125 quid, it's only three of the original lineup, and the weather's probably going to be pissed, and the pretenders are going to be gone, so I'm not personally a big fan of, and I, th- I just thought to myself, not worth the money, man. Not worth my 125 quid. I mean, if I, if, I, if I managed to get one for about half that price, or maybe just a wee bit less, I would have fucking gone, but no. Aye. But that was just ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if it's got anything to do with Brexit, or the pandemic, or all that kind of nonsense, but... No,
0: it's it's time just how on the, the deal... Plastic. It's, it's Guns N' Roses that slash an axle on stage, so, oh, we'll just charge 150 quid for fandom. It is! Exactly. And all these diehard yeah. fans f- f- were fancy Guns N' Roses back in 93 when they actually split up, are like, oh my god, this is probably going to be the last chance we're going to get to see A2 on stage. Oh, we'll just charge 200 quid for a ticket. people will pay it. And they do.
3: They
2: do. It so My dad went to see UFO at the um, Apollo in I... 1981 or whatever the fuck it was, right? Uh, and I he paid a fiver. He paid five quid. I know. Five pound. For UFO. Okay. He's seen yes. And he paid ten pound. I, now, you, can take, I... you can take inflation into consideration, right? The problem is, is that it's it's not correct maths. Because even with inflation, it would only be double the cost. It wouldn't be fucking ten times, times. or twenty times I... the cost. So, I'm, I do not I don't really buy it. It's not something that I advocate is correct. And again, it's one of the conversations that could go for hours and hours and we will never have an answer for it. So it's probably something, I mean, I would. I don't know about you, but I think other people should comment on how they feel about it. Leave a comment uh, below uh, the Yeah, video. it's
0: interesting to get everyone's views. But finishing up on that, going back to Devin Townsend, he said the one thing with mental health and the whole, and obviously Devon Townsend has been well-renowned to be suffering from stuff that, I'm going through, like, bipolar and all the rest of it. But he said the one thing he enjoyed every night back in the day was going on stage and engaging with the fans. He got on the energy. He felt it, and he felt the love. Whereas now, he's just looking at 5,000 people with shiny phones. And he said there's no engagement with the fans anymore. There's no... And you've seen it. Bruce Dickinson's been kicking off with the fans as well. He's like, there's no... He's like, when I go out there now, I can't look at a fan straight in the eye and feel that he's looking at me saying, oh, I love this bit of this song. And afterwards, if you played a solo, and the guy's like, that was amazing. No. It's all recorded. People are loving it through their phone now. And he says that it's one of the other reasons that he doesn't want to tour anymore because he said there's, it's just, there's no interaction with the, the audience.
1: Exactly, yeah. The girls, every fucking moment of it is like, you'll always have it in here and in here. You don't have to have it well, completely. Well, completely. We, we're still young, but we're getting
0: older. But we were part of an era when people will say, were you at that gig in 1997? I was like, yeah, 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 I was at that gig at the garage. I don't have about a phone, but I've got it here. I was there. And I remember it personally, so I have that experience, that one-to-one interaction with the Sphere Factory, Burton C. Bell, or whoever it was at the garage way back. So it's there, whereas now it's, oh, I couldn't make that concert last night. I'll just jump on YouTube. was Guns N' Roses in Glasgow? Full fucking concert right there. It's crazy.
3: Yeah,
1: it's but the only I, went, I, went on, I went on YouTube to re-watch the tribute to Mark Shelton from Manila Road to keep it true four years ago is because... I was at, I was there, but was stoned in my box, so I don't remember much of it at all.
3: <laughs> so as soon I was oh, listen, I
1: listen. To go on YouTube and relive it there, because my memory was like, <laughs> fucking I don't know what the f- stuff that f- um, Lenny gave me was, but it was fucking strong shit, so my memory oh, of that two, night two, was like <laughs> ten fifteen percent max, so I had to go on and relive yeah, it on YouTube on my daily. <laughs> it was Gannon, the devil's uh, cabbage. The
2: devil's oh, devil's I cabbage. F-
0: cabbage. I was Never with Garen at Partizan. Yeah. I was with in uh, 2006 at Partizan. we'd get up at 6 in the morning, go down to the pub down the road, come back up, we were sleeping in our tents by 2 in the afternoon and waking up when the last band was finishing, never seen any of the festival, absolutely shit-faced so I've had to go on YouTube to be like what was that festival like again, because I can't (laughs) fucking remember a (laughs) Uh thing. spent all that money to fly over to Germany, spend 6 days there and me and Garen just at the pub at 6 in the morning Just (laughs) nah, I
3: know
0: I know, They, they were the good old days but Enough of that nonsense. Let's get a wee bit personal, a wee bit intimate now um, for our, obviously our listeners to get a wee bit more about us. Um, so we're going to hit the favourite album. Not albums, but just one album that you'll take to the grave for you. None of this Desert Island five, ten albums. Just one album. If somebody says to you, one album, what is your favourite album? I'll start with you,
1: Stuart. If there's no, one album... somewhere in time, no questions asked. Also, oh, that is that is your I favourite album, ever. album of all time. Right? Not just by Maiden, but by anybody. I mean, wasted years on be best song ever written. And the fact that on that the current tour they played five songs off it, they don't, they hardly yeah. ever played any songs off it. I mean, plus they never back when they toured to promote it back in '86, they never did a full concert video of it, unlike most of the other albums they did. And they're doing it now. It's just it, it more than makes up for it. I mean, there are never also been quite Alexander the Great line that to me was just. A fucking milestone. I mean, I've seen footage of uh, the first uh, gig they did this tour in uh, Ljubljana in Slovenia. When uh, you see the, I mean, the voice of the set list wasn't leaked before then. But uh, when, you heard, when you hear the, the voiceover from the start of the song, Sonda, yeah. the Son of the Kingdom, and you hear everyone in the audience going, ah, oh my God! they not like, they can't believe it, you know? Honestly, it's, so many people have waited years to, to hear that song played live. It just was perfect. I mean, the whole album's perfect. I mean, they got a lot of shit at the time for the whole guitar synth thing and the fact that they were, you know, doing really progressive stuff. But it was perfect. See, man, this was a great yeah. song. Wait, still catchy, déjà vu, stranger in a strange land. You can't help not help but fucking synchronize guitar. A, that is a great song. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and Even was wasted years, man. Even the single in that album is an absolute topper. It's the best. You can't song ever listen ever. to the start of Wasted Years and, and not go. Ah, oh, fucking
1: right, you know. It's the closing <laughs> song on the closing song the of the biggest Soldier, too. It's perfect. I mean, the hardly ever played alive before then. The only time I saw them play it alive was the the Summer Back in Time Tour in 08 and it was like the fifth song played. But the fact of finishing off the set with it is perfect. I mean, the only people complaining about it are the fucking you know, the fucking mainstreamers that say, Oh, they should only be finishing off with Brunt of the Hills or i will Be Thy Name I'm like hey, those weren't the only good the only good songs they fucking did. That I mean, must people, have been special for, some for you. Record. Yeah. Yeah, but especially especially it was so special
0: for me. For that, because those five songs that you've waited and that's actually your favourite album as well. That's pretty
1: impressive. Exactly, yeah. I mean, they did five songs off that, five of the new albums, Sinjutsu, which not a lot of people like, but I did actually quite enjoy. Plus, they finally played Death they played of the, the, prisoner of the of Kells.
2: Language. Death of the Kells is a fucking song, man. That's it's- as good as any Maiden song.
1: The Clansman Part 2, I call it. It's that fucking good. Yeah. I've actually. It's, I've got, it's got the to... same
2: feeling, by the way. It's got the same feeling as The Clansman. That's exactly, I can it. exactly what you mean, man.
1: A chronologically, it's set before The Clansman, if you think about it. Well, of course. Yeah. Alright. I mean, uh, you've not heard that uh, one yet, Stuart?
0: I'm not. I will give it a listen tonight, and then on the next episode, I'll let you know exactly how I felt. And what I will do is I'll listen to The Clansman and then listen to that song and see how I feel about the two of them. Do it, man. Do I wonder.
2: When I, when I listened to Death of the Celts, I, I, I couldn't quite get my because I've not read the lyrics right, so I don't actually know what the lyrics are in written form. I wonder if it's a bit Boudicca.
1: Could well be. I mean, when, it, when, he, when he was talking about he was talking about, uh, he mentioned the words genocide in it, and how it affected you know, the Scots and the the Scottish history and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he, I mean Bruce tends to talk a lot of shite in between songs. Unless, you know, he's, the stage pack is not the great right, but... Uh,
2: but, you know, unless, he's, unless he's talking, what, what was it about the um, the druids being wiped out by the Romans? That Pretty technically much, I mean, would have been I mean, the death yeah, of but the, you never the Celtic society. Standards. So
0: has has Maiden always been your favourite band, or was that a band that came later in your life for you? Pretty
1: much like always. Appreciation. I mean, I used to pick a favourite band, but I, mean, I, I remember them back in the early days. You know, when the Open you know, the Slaughter came out, and all that kind of stuff. And i listened to a lot of other bands since, but. When I started to really focus on them in my early mid teens, that's, that's when they officially became my favourite band. I mean, I'd always known them and always listened to a lot of other bands too, but it took, me, it took me years to pick out which my favourite band was, but Maiden instantly jumped in. Yeah, yeah. That was it. And that was over 20, 25 years ago. For that our really listeners, really how many bad. times have you actually seen Maiden? How many times have you seen Maiden, Stuart? 14, 14 times now. Hopefully 15 next Saturday if I can get one gig uh, the, okay. the in. Wow. Yeah. That's a wee bit hey, more, we're the, more than, we're than we're I've seen who? We'll put it this way: My mate Eric, the singer from the band Nephilheim, when he's going, to, yes, he sees when he sees them on the London gig on Friday, the first two nights, that'll be has three hundred times seeing them. He, him and the young <laughs> guy from Nephilheim, they follow them on every fucking European tour. Never miss a show. that's dedication. Don't know how they going to afford it and time or money, but wow, just fucking do it. Has
2: has he been has he been given Bruce Dickinson's um, codpiece yet? It, I mean if you've seen him 300 times mate I mean you know that, that's fucking dedication you should be getting clothes off him exactly you
1: know? I mean the Fence, they... Fence fighting lessons precisely plus Neville oh, uh, I I mean, I don't know what's happening with music these days but they should be fucking open for me the, at this stage I mean I'll piss off a lot of the fucking mainstream metal fans but hey when is that ever a fucking bad thing <laughs> I know absolutely
3: yeah right. I mean, I mean the so
1: to... support fans of their tour are absolute jokes I mean that's Raven Age that like Melodic metalcore mixed with fucking post-grunge. The reason they're biggest is Steve Harris's son plays guitar, and then uh, that that fucking. Ah, is right. Basically, a watered-down ghost. That kind of euro goth pop shit, which I can't stand. I, I can hate do, it. Can do a lady, can up, or just to get attention. I mean, the only time I ever saw Mates do a, full, a, 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 a a a full arena tour with a good support was 2011 when it was Airborne. They got accused of being an AC/DC rip-off, but hey, they're not. They're like AC/DC, but they've got more energy, and they're actually Australian. Amazing.
0: There's another, there's another band, there's another band like that, Airborne from England. I think they're called Awesomeville or Awesomeville, they're like a Motorhead style clone. Awesomeville, yeah, Awesomeville, yeah, Awesomeville.
1: That's some. They're actually they're good, are, man. I like them live, mean yeah, but, but they get accused of uh, ripping off Motorhead mainly because the singer's called Lenny, Lenny Robinson. But yeah. uh, they were brilliant. I mean, I uh, never, I still haven't seen them live yet, but I've seen live footage of them. Honestly, they're, they're like Motorhead, but much younger. There's not another band I they should they're check having out. Fun. You know, Check out, check out a band from Germany called Poison Speed. They're like really gritty Motorhead-style kind of high-speed rock and roll. It's like Poison Speed. speed. You, know, you know, you know, the band Midnight. You know the Texan black black yeah. rock and roll band. Uh, you know, if if they if they were like the bastard child of Motorhead and Venom, then Poison Speed are their grandchild. <laughs> That's the best thing put in.
2: it. That's some ex- uh, description.
1: You got to check out Motorhead and Venom. The uh, check out Midnight. I've, check out. Poison I've
0: got up now. I've got Poison, I'm getting Poison Speed up now, so that's me sorted tonight. New knew made an album with some Poison Speed, so brilliant. Cheers for that. Yeah, <laughs> cooking is the name of the album. It's an absolute belter, man. Right, so it. we're on to you, Tam. It's either, I'm, I'm getting a feel here that it's going to be Vinder, Gamma Ray, or Manowar. It has to be one of them with you.
2: Do you know something? It's really, really hard for me to pick one album because...
0: You're fucking evergreen, aft.
2: I am Evergrey Daft, yes, um, but it wouldn't be Evergrey that would be my favourite album. Um, mm. Again, it's difficult for me to tie down a top ten in an order, so having one album that I would never get sick of, there's that many of them. I mean, I could I say like Bathory Blood on Ice, which is an absolute build I, I, I could say, I'm um, to think. Honestly, there, are, there is there's like a million options going through my head. I'd I probably what? say maybe "Sign of the Hammer," Manowar. um for Guyana, good "Cult Damned." For the Powerhead, obviously "Sign of the Hammer." All men play on ten. Think what you will. Um, you know, there's so many fucking good songs on that album. But even then, you know, it's just because you've asked me to name one. Is it my favorite album of all time? I honestly don't know because it changes that readily and my music taste is that vast.
1: Uh, I would have
2: to name a hundred.
1: I, mean, I never figured you were a Smashing Pumpkins fan when I was younger.
2: Smashing Pumpkins was one of the first bands I ever get into
1: when oh, I was okay.
2: uh, 13. Uh, I,
0: was, I When I was young as well, I was listening
1: to Pumpkins.
2: Silverchair, a lot of that sort of stuff. Love you know? Silverchair, mate. First album of was I dynamite. I get into
1: all that old rock stuff and then even when it was big in the 90s. I could just couldn't kind of get into it. I was still listening to fucking Queen and Death, Labyrinth, and Lizzie by then. Uh, I, just, I, was, I, I was.
2: Honestly, it's, it's really difficult, right? Because you asked me what my favourite album is. In isolation, I can probably name an album, but is it my favourite? I don't know, because I, I love music, and there's so many things I get from music. There's so many different feelings and emotions that I get from different albums. There's so many different parts of my life that albums will yeah. call me back to, because music is the soundtrack to your life. It was Fred Durst actually said that, and think what you want about the guy, but it's actually pretty profound music, uh, yes. um, album like music is a soundtrack to your life so it calls you back to a time when you were listening to that specific piece of music, yeah. I mean I could say No Mercy by Slayer because at one point Slayer was my favourite band I could say um Siamese Dream with the Smashing Pumpkins because at one point they were my favourite band I could say Vindar as you say, um, Arntor you know, that's a fucking album and a half I mean I've got a lot of black, death metal fucking thrash metal um Honestly, there's there's too many, far 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 too many.
0: Nah, I, yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer. I, for done? me, it's a it's a I, it's a no-brainer. I mean, growing up, I mean, I started playing guitar when I was seven year old, um, and my house was always flooded with you know early hair metal, black death metal. But 1990, hearing Spiritual Healing for the first time, death was massive for me. I was just a ten year old. I was like, what the hell is this? But Dad's got a blasting but it was, the album came out in 1990, but it was Rust in Peace, Megadeth, um, and a lot, a lot of people are like, you know, oh, Megadeth, are shite, they're a poor man's Metallica, and whatever, I always felt Dave just was angry, he was pissed off, he just, he had it, but the, every, a lot of people go back and say, you know, that they really love Peace Cells, or So Far So Good So What, and all the rest of it, but Rust in Peace for me, was a quintessential speed, technical metal album, I mean, it's just way above its time, Marty Friedman, Dave Ellison, Nick Menza, that album. It, just from the minute that opening riff, "Holy Wars," and it rips right through. It's just stop this day I it on. I get goose. Yeah, it's just it's just perfect in every way. Dave's pissed off. He's he's sober for the first time on that album. Marty Friedman, just a guitar god coming from Cacophony, you know, speed metal symphony, and go off with Jason Becker. So he okay. was a virtuoso, but what? What I learned a lot through the years has been a, cause Ingvy Malmsteen's trilogy album for me is a close number one, very special, just because I've never heard guitar playing like that before. But what Marty did, it was so different from all the shredders was, he made it sound tasteful. He made that, you know, you weren't just listening to Jason Becker or fucking okay, Marty, um, you know, Vinnie Moore or any of these guys, Michelangelo Batio. <coughs> they all You listen to Rustin Peace and he complimented the song. But he did put all that technical flow through it. But Tornado Souls, one of the most iconic metal souls you'll ever hear. Just very, very special. So for me, Megadeth is just a very special band to I me. Mean, I've even got a tramp stamp, Megadeth, on my chest, you know, ultimate tramp stamp right there. Um, just I've seen them ten times, so I've not got as many on you and Maiden. Um, and I'm going to see them for the love of time um, at Bloodstocking. I really do hope I get that opportunity to meet him, because obviously he's been going through the whole throat cancer thing and everything, and we all know what happened to Van Halen, so it would be just amazing to just speak to him for a few minutes and just ask him a few things about his musical career, because when you look at it, he was, so, he was only 20 when he got kicked out of Metallica, think about that, and yeah. then he had to chase Metallica for his whole career, that's all he's I, ever done.
2: I think Metallica are a bit prickish though. Uh, Let me explain, right? I mean, I've thought about this for years, and then I actually heard Dave Mustaine say the the same thing. Dave Mustaine obviously had an alcohol problem, right? Yes. And he obviously had a decent, as he thought, relationship with the rest of the band. He liked James Hetfield a lot, didn't really care for Lars Ulrich. I mean, everybody can understand that, let's face it. (laughs) And then, instead of his friends, as he thought, getting him help and support, they gave him a (laughs) fucking bus ticket home. There you go, son. Fuck off. That's not on, man. That is Cliff bullshit. He treated them so badly. Yeah,
0: yeah. It did he did treat him so bad? And, and and Kerry King said that when Metallica first started, it was Ron McGovern on bass. This is way before Cliff Burton started. And he was like, and Hetfield got really jealous because he says when he went to these shows, Kerry King, Chuck Bully Testament, they were all looking at Dave Mustaine because he was this guy just fucking shredding his ass off, and he had this energy on stage, and they were like, who the fuck is this guy? And Kenny King actually played for Megadeth for eight gigs. And he was like, I I can't keep up with this guy. He's just too good. So he ended up going off and he had Slayer already starting anyway. But yeah, why did they not help him? Why did they not say, you know, I just think that Metallica had their own vision. Hetfield wanted to be the main man. But at the end of it, we've got two great bands out of it. You know, whether they're great now to some people... As a different, obviously, Metallica was seventy-two seasons, and they've not released anything decent since the early nineties, late eighties. Um, but they're two of the most influential bands, and people will argue till they're fucking blue in the face who's the best out the two. But for me, Megadeth just resonated more with me. They just have catchier songs, better solos, great riff. Yeah,
2: songwriter. Better, better songwriter,
1: much better songwriter. They kept they did their own thing, but they still kept the Megadeth thing going. They didn't go from yeah, fucking yeah doing really fucking fast, speedy thrash to short-haired corporate rock and looking like the Backstreet Boys and sounding like some drunken country cunts like Metallica did in the mid-90s. They were still doing the anything.
2: I feel like Metallica's biggest problem... <laughs> this fucking podcast going to get cancelled before it even starts. Um, Metallica's biggest problem for me is just Lars Ulrich. I think if you take Lars out of the equation, then the rest of them are probably pretty sound, right? I think yeah, we've probably got I- on with them fairly well. And like you said, you know, I just... Looking back at it, Dave, Dave Mustaine, as you say, he's about twenty at the time. He's on stage with, as he thinks his pals. He was brought up in a very Jehovah's Witnessy family and all that's that. Correct. So he did, didn't he have like a great upbringing. In his childhood, he went yep. through some troubles. He found what he thought was a family and his mates that he played music with, and then they fucking ditched him at the first opportunity. I just think that's pretty scumbaggy. It is. Like, it is. I just, you know, it's shit.
0: But I just think it's a testament to Dave though to think that he went on a Greyhound bus from New York back to Los Angeles and then formed a band that would go to sell 50, 60 million records and he's still relevant today, he's headlining Bloodstock, he's 63 year old now and he's still fucking, you know, the last album is a good album.
1: Ah, it's 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 crying.
0: Yeah, it's quite
2: I like Dystopia as well. I thought it was a good album. I don't yeah. think Megadeth have actually done a terrible album. They've got albums with good songs, and they've got uh, go albums risk with was really bad songs. Risk was
1: terrible. Risk was terrible. You can't deny it. I'm that.
2: sorry, right? I was I was singing this to Stuart the other day. Crush <laughs> him is hilariously oh. good. Even as a comedy song, it's fucking good, man. Yeah, like, but, cool Here's, well here's the thing, cool. right? Here's the thing with Megadeth, and it's the last thing I'm going to say in Megadeth, because I don't consider myself to be an expert on it, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like... With Dave Mustaine, he speaks his mind. Even if you don't agree with what he says, he doesn't bullshit you. He's just very straightforward, and I like that in an individual. I like somebody that speaks their piece and (laughs) doesn't fucking fold under pressure. And for me, that gets massive respect, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's
1: his biggest problem, but it's also his best quality. It is.
2: Exactly. His bank balance will say it's not a fucking problem anyway.
1: Oh, fuck it. it As long as he doesn't make any more... As long as he doesn't make any, any of the wrong kind of comments or the wrong part of Ireland again, he'll be fine. <laughs> Aye, I know. Yeah,
2: don't no repeat comes, that comes one. It, co-
0: comes <laughs> out in Ireland, I'd like to dedicate idiots. this song to the cause. Hey, comes out in Ireland, <laughs> I'd like to dedicate <laughs> this song to the cause. I'd like fucking pass it to now just a fucking trouble. Go it through the <laughs> bus and get me out of Ireland. I'm <laughs> oh, oh, such a dumbass. Do you know, that... For, for any of our listeners that are not Scottish that whole instance with Dave Mustaine totally reminds me Ali McCoy's that saying Gaza when you score at Parkhead do the whistle <laughs> but they did not know that he was actually going to fucking do it so Gazza's put one in and he's, he's got and Walter Smith if he actually goes YouTube Walter Smith's like Fuck it no and Gazza's like hey the fucking <laughs> Parkhead's about to murder him
2: <laughs> you, you know me man
0: right
2: that shit it's
0: insane it's insane that Paul Gascoy did that
2: Like I I remember seeing it when when it happened. Like I I remember it vividly, and you know my whole fucking house was annoyed. I come from an extremely Celtic orientated family, and I myself am a massive Celtic fan. Right? I I would bleed green if you cut me. Now the point is, is that I never get offended by these things. It does not fucking bother me. See anybody that makes any comment about this for me? It's just banter. I don't give a fuck if anybody's offended. They're offended for their own reasons. Says me about them.
0: I know, exactly, but yeah. it's just to think that Paul no Gascoigne played be playing fun. the flute. Nah, well, it was it's all silly. good. Joe, he did, he did, it, he actually done it in the hole with the bench at Parkhead. I remember, right? we're going to get murdered here. And Gazza's just like, yeah, this is funny. As long as he didn't do his rendition of Fog in the Tin, that was, that was all right.
3: <laughs> remember
0: that? Or, <laughs> I, what, when Raoul Mote, Raoul Mote was actually shooting police officers and Gazza turns out, up with a Gregs and a Kiriut. He's
3: like,
2: I'll sort <laughs> this guy out. I'll stop him. <laughs> <laughs> I know. A Fishing Rod, a Gregs and a Kiriut. It's did, <laughs> did you never hear the story about, I mean, again, this is coming for a Celtic fan right now. I absolutely love listening to Ali McCoyst. right? Because you can oh, say what you want. The guy, he's, he's a national treasure, right? I really met him before. Yeah, I've met him once. Nice guy. A hilariously. He is. He's a lovely guy, right? Met him in Houston and he was going in for a boat like I am brewing a packet of, uh, we'll say cigarettes. That wasn't what I was going to say, but we'll say cigarettes. Um, now <laughs> he says, so he was in his bed one night and he heard rustling down the stairs, right? So his wife was like, ah, something in the house, something in the house. And he's jumped out of his bed, of course, tentatively, and down the stairs. It's Paul fucking gas coin in his fridge making a sandwich Hi. at night. You know, he's like, Paul. Hi, what are you doing? Having a sandwich. <laughs> like, fucking blase, man. Like, honestly, what a I guy. What, uh, what's happened
0: is he's made the sandwich and Ali's went to his bed and Gazza's left. <laughs> but the next I, again day of training, next again day of training, Ali McCoy's like, Gazza, how did you care to get him I house? He says, I heard you on the phone to the wife, saying you keep your spare key at the bottom of the pond under the, at the gnome, the garden gnome. So Gazza's walked <laughs> home, pissed, couldn't he get a taxi. What past him went, I'll just jump over the wall, get the key, make myself a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Only Paul Gascoigne, honestly. What a oh. character. Unbelievable. A well, I mean, obviously we're going off into a tangent here, but the greatest manager in my eyes all time, Alex Ferguson, said that the biggest regret of his managerial career was not getting Paul Gascoigne because with would have turned him into what we would look at Messi as being one of the greatest players ever to grace Alex Ferguson knew how to get a player that was crazy and tame him. Wayne Rooney, Eric Cantona jumping in the crowd. He knew how to get the best out. He was a great psychologist. Um, And Paul Gascoigne, as as you said, he's he's like Ali McCoys. We're Scottish. He scored the dentist chair goal against us in '96 at Wembley. scored one of the greatest goals you'll ever see. But what a player. And he graced Scottish football amazingly. I mean, what a joy to watch. Even you as a Celtic fan. That Rangers team was very dominant back then. That's when you had the, the late, great Tommy Burns um, yep, as the I'm
2: manager still, of Celtic. I've still got PTSD thinking about the 90s for Celtic, mate. Let's move Aye. swiftly on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a tough
1: time. <laughs> but, yeah, I know what you mean. Let's let's move on to the next topic. Oh. and I've uh, we'll got work, work in the morning.
0: Aye, nay <laughs> bother, pal. Right, best concert you've ever been to, Stu. Let's do this. It's
1: been tough, but I would have to be a choice between Two gigs I went to in 2006, either Twisted Sister at the O2 Academy behind our rocks and support, because they were phenomenal, and I got to Whoa. hang out with them afterwards, nice guys, or the same year at the Soundhouse, Marshall Law with uh, Steel Tormentor and Seth, because, well, Marshall Law were one of my favourite bands, I'd never really listened to them much until I went to that gig, instantly became one of my favourite bands, when they finished off with Leviathan, they got the whole fucking crowd on stage, I mean, uh, fucking, what's his face, Andy Pike, the singer, what a fucking cool guy, I and mean, when I met my blood stocking guy a couple of years later. It was like we'd never been apart. It's one kind I wish they could—they could have been so much bigger. They could have been a junior dude. This, yeah. but this never got the recognition recognition they deserved because it was the nineties. and twin guitar traditional freestyle metal was, as I said before, frowned upon then. Yeah, I mean they did some albums later on, and they called it quits because the singer left and dived other projects. But I would kill to see them get back together one time, just to see them again, even if it's just a one-off and keep it true. But that one, yeah a milestone in my life, man. I'd never been to a gig like it, never seen a band quite like it, and they, they were just phenomenal. they never got the recognition they deserved, but that gig to me was one of the best of my life. I mean, Maiden Scotland, the Maiden Tribute Band, were meant to be playing there too, but they had to pull out at the last minute because the guitar's son got hospitalised, think they had like meningitis or something. Uh, but uh, that first time seeing Seth, it was when, when they still had, the, as a five piece, you had uh, Big Neil Russell, you had uh, Al D. Yeah. Alan, uh, Muck, and uh, Baz on guitar. It was, in fact, I think it was Baz and Guitar. It was either Baz or it was, uh, what's-his-face, Sean? No, it was definitely Baz. That was
2: the first thing. They huh?
1: never got as big as they should have either. But yeah, that's our Twisted Sister. Best gig of my life. Wow. Time for you, my man.
2: Uh, best gig I've ever been to is probably Earthshaker in 2006, seeing Manowar play, battle him with every, original mem- every member that's ever been in Manowar. So you'd, you know, fucking Ross the Boss. Uh, David Shankle, you had every fucking one of them. Oh. Donny Hamzig, like was honestly, that in it was. Was that a big uh, airfield? No, it was in a place called. I'm probably going to butcher this for all the German listeners, if there is any. Gieselwind in Germany. Gieselwind. and it was it was fucking beautiful, man. So scenic, and they only uh, had that festival for like two years. It's the crazy thing, like they had so fucking good lineups, man, both years but I don't know what happened um, and it, it went away after that but yeah 2006 Earthshaker in Germany for me definitely
0: Aye, for me it was a uh, just 2021 December I'm good friends with James Murphy ex-testament obituary death all that um, he was playing spiritual healing in its entirety um, for the first time ever and it was the first time he had played in 20 years after he had his brain tumour so that was with him, eh, Teddy Butler on bass, you know, obituary. He was on the Leprosy album. So I flew over to Tampa, Florida for that. And then headlining was Death to All. So it was Duck Verbruni, Megadeth um, on drums, Bobby Cabell. So for me, having posters to James Murphy on my wall growing up as a kid, to then being in his hotel room playing guitar with him, and then watching him play the Holy Spiritual Healing Death Live in Tampa, the home of death metal, was just... I still get goosebumps when I think about it now. It's so personal to me. You know, just in the brass mug as well. It's this little shitty uh, venue in the downtown of Tampa, and it was just like, wow, man, I'm up there watching fucking James Murphy play my hero. So when it's personal like that as well, like what you're saying, Stu, you know, when it's these sort of bands that mean so much to you, and then you get to hang out with them afterwards. It's just like, is this real? Then I got to go for lunch. You can see on the top of my Facebook photo, I'm sat having lunch with all the ex-members of death, spiritual healing, individual thought parts, human. It's like, fucking, if you'd ask the 13-year-old me if that would ever happen, nah, nah, so that can never be top now, never be top, even Dave Mustaine saying Do you want to come up and play Hangar 18 with me, it just, it'll never beat what I experienced in Tampa I, oh. that was pretty awesome, but this will be a really good one and well, I've, got for today, for I've got a question for you
2: got a question for you, right just because you said that that was like a spiritual moment for you, now I remember seeing you walking on the field during a Pittsburgh Steelers game, yes does that top it? or no! Nah,
0: nah, what? nah! I mean, that was special. That was Ben Roethlisberger's last ever game um, against yep. the, the the Browns at home, and we beat them. Um, but to go on the pitch and then get to meet That's well why you were afterwards. singing
2: what is it? Here we go Big Ben <laughs> Here
0: we go because also oh, the Cleveland Browns woof woof uh, So man. I just got stuck clean. I got stuck <laughs> clean into the Browns fans eh? they weren't hating it they are like who's this Scottish Fuck it. Here
2: we go Big Ben <laughs> There you go You became that, hellhammer, mate <laughs> I
0: know I know but that <laughs> but that 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 is up there with the James Murphy but for me just being a kid and music is my passion more than even sports and just to be invited into James Murphy's hotel room. He's there fucking cleaning his armpits and brushing his teeth, and I'm just sat there like, oh, my God, this is so surreal. Then he just pulls his guitars out, his cases, and says, let's jam. And my arse emptied. I was like, oh, the fuck. But then he's asking me about guitar technique sweeping, and I'm like showing my hero. It was just, you know, it was absolutely amazing. But, aye, we'll move on because fucking Bobby the Barman here has got to get behind the bar serving two prints for the pricks. So two, hopefully, but, yeah. yeah. Right, so I know, I know you two have some belters, what is the worst thing you've ever seen at a concert, whether it be from a band's perspective on the stage or in the crowd, what's the worst
1: thing you've ever seen? Okay, time you start off with this one, because I'm still trying to think about it, I've got too many to think about. Um, <laughs> a bit a can, I use,
2: can I use myself as an example here?
0: <laughs> Go, Go on, I mean, I'm, going, I'm going to be that example.
2: I, I did actually see this, because I've seen it happen through my, my beer goggles. Um, right, so, I mentioned uh, that I went to see Slayer, and I was at 2006 at the SECC. I was wearing a kilt at the time, and I was so, so fucking drunk. It was the night I get barred for the Solid Rock, oh. um, for some other oh, and oh, well, things to <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm, I don't think I'm barred anymore. but I've been in there a couple of times, and I don't think they recognise me. Plus, the world's ended since then and started again, so I, I don't think it's, uh, it counts. Anyway... Basically, I get so fucking drunk, and I mean absolutely blitzed, right? And I'm kind of staggering about, and it's like War Ensemble or something that's owned. It's a really fucking fast song. So I get done in the pit because the pit's starting, right? So I twisted my ankle. Now I realised I needed a, a pish or a pee for anybody um, not from the Glaswegian persuasion. I needed to urinate, right? <laughs> and then I got, I was that fucked that I didn't know where the toilets were. I had no idea, so I climbed under the seats. There was a bit underneath them, and look, I'm like five six or five seven at at max, right? And I remember kind of squatting, trying to get into this fucking bit. Clearly, you're not meant to be there. I could have get crushed by all of these people, and and at the time, I really needed to, to have a piss, so I kind of moved my kilt up and I just peed under the seats, and it went all on my shoes and everything. Right? I was fucking wrecked, and uh, I remember stumbling out after it. I hadn't even put my bobby away properly. I don't <laughs> think. <yeah. laughs> and <fucking laughs> I stumbled out. And I kind of uh, managed to walk to the corridor. I didn't even see the false layer set. I might have done that, actually. I know I did, because you finished with Angel of Death, right? And at the end of that, I walked out, and one of my pals um, at the time, lassie who is shorter than me, she's 5'4", five, 5'3", five, something like that, right? She had to get me up the stairs in my flat, because I twisted my ankle in the pit after pissing away my shoes. That was a uh, that was a real low point for me, man. Um, and it's not even the worst thing I've done. It's just the only one I can think of.
0: Aye, well, for me, um, nineteen ninety eight or 17, I went to see Marlon Manson at the Barras. I Only went because my mate had a spare ticket. He's like, "What, come along?" And at that time, it's like beautiful people was out early, and then it was Mechanical Animals or whatever. So I said, like, "Yeah, I'll go." So fucking at the front because my mate wants to be at the front. Next minute, this abundance, I thought it was fucking raining, I was drenched, hey, someone had pushed in a pint glass and launched it, but at that point it's going down my face and into my mouth, and I, I'm like, ah, you know that, what the fuck's that? And it was stale pish, running, honestly fucking lasted about three songs and had to go out, eh? I was fucking raging, went over to one of the Celtic bars opposite at the bars and had to fucking literally use the hand sanit and wash my hair and everything and I had long hair. But someone had pushed and I, like a full-sized pint glass launched it and it just cracked off my head the plastic cup and drowned me in piss. I'll,
3: and I'll never forget seven. that. that? I was on that. You know that's you, yeah.
2: that, that's you Catholic now, you baptised yourself in holy water. <laughs>
1: Fucking okay, fucking dick, dick. Okay. Well, I thought I thought probably my worst thing that seen at gig. Well, it wasn't actually a gig. To be fair, it was actually um, it was uh, the Lords of Chaos movie when they showed it at the cinema. It was just as good as going to a gig. But one of the worst things I seen it was during the scene where um, where uh, Dead from Mayhem was uh, slitting his wrists and his eye like yeah. Someone in the in the audience at that at that premiere threw up and fainted in in the audience. So they <laughs> had to stop real for twenty minutes to get the fucking paramedics in. It's like you're watching a movie about Mayhem, you knew this was going to happen and yet you fucking couldn't handle it. It's like, who the fuck... Who the fuck brought you along, pal? Your fucking girlfriend?
2: How did they deal with oh. the shotgun blast? <laughs> I know! They passed out
1: beforehand. It was right at that point that they stopped the meal. Aye, because dead like out in the, out the out woods the at the foot front of like, that kind of stuff makes you fucking throw up and pain. You fucking poser!
2: only thing that made me throw up at that film was the fact that Varg stopped to make himself a chocolate milk. <laughs> That was funny. I'm in the middle of killing this guy, I'm just going to have a chocolate milk, you know?
1: You can imagine how the himself felt when he saw that bit? <laughs> I've
2: That's seen of it. comments. Oh, I didn't
0: man. actually that logic chaos I thought it was actually good, obviously it wasn't true to, the, you know, historical events, but it was actually done not too
1: bad. The fact oh, that it pissed off the band themselves and a lot of the diehard fans is what really did it for me, but it was a really good movie, I mean, It's like, it's gateway stuff for people who know nothing about the Norwegian black metals. Aye! I mean, mean, even the American accents were we're tolerable to to an extent,
2: you know? Again, I would agree. I don't think it's a bad film. I think it's just a film. I think if you enjoy it in isolation. But it's kind of right. They did it in the right way because they didn't glorify it. And you can't glorify it because they were idiots. They were fucking morons, right? These are guys that that had world views that didn't exist outside of the tiny wee village in Norway right so they didn't have an idea of what the actual world was and they thought they were being infiltrated so they yeah. had a siege mentality basically that's what they had basically and, um, yeah. I think they covered it pretty well because they, they all come off as complete tossers so uh, fair enough that, that's an end game not well,
1: black metalers after I all let's face it mean, the guys that we knew back in the day they were yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm supposed guys, in a good way they were good arseholes They weren't... weren't, Well, some of them were complete pricks. I'm not going to name any names, but... They were on dicks. dicks. There's a a few in our Scottish scene that are interesting characters, but we'll keep it at that. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, no names being mentioned. We don't single anybody out No, no,
0: no. But for our listeners, honestly, we've got one more thing before we wrap this podcast up, but this is our first ever show. Um, We've not really done a pilot show before this, so, you know a bit all over into tangents and stuff, but as you'll see, over the weeks come, we'll be a wee bit more structured. Album reviews, interviews. Um, we're going to, mean meantime, going to do a separate side bit about gear. So, not as in gear, what we call in Scotland is in drugs, but actual musical equipment.
2: Um, Fuck, I better be a- put that kilo back in the fucking cupboard. I thing. know. Shit. And,
0: um, <laughs> we're going to get Stu's insight um, for people that want to go to German festivals and stuff like that, and how to get there. Just loads of little things as the podcast grows, but we want to be part of that. But as we sign off, um, any album recommendation, guys, um, for our listeners that maybe have not heard of some of the bands that we're listening to as a whole? Tam, got any recommendations for our listeners?
2: I have listened probably 32 times now to the Halas album, uh, Conundrum. If I'm saying the name correctly, Halas. It is absolutely fucking beautiful. I agree, I agree. It is how do I describe this? Right, imagine if you can, if you're able to Flash Gordon but metal. It just it feels totally fucking, it's nonsense, but it's beautiful, man. It's it's like Rush and Flash Gordon and fucking uh, Wishbone Ash all had this weird love child and, you know, you know it, all that's missing is the He-Man haircut. Uh, honestly, it's Glorious, man. Check it out. Beautiful. No, absolutely.
0: Uh, for me, it's um, a homegrown band from Scotland. It's Hellripper. Um, their latest album is Warlock Grimms and Wither Hags or something like that. Yeah. What a band. What a band for Scotland. I mean, I'm talking, they're going to go places. Proper old school speed metal with a sort of and thrash vibe going right through it. I just, honestly, that album I just said, even just jump on Spotify and just type, Hellripper. We'll sit their early stuff right through. For me, at the moment, they're they're the band in the moment for me. So, aye, I'm loving it. It' don't, not got He-Man haircuts or fucking like Wishbone
1: Ash or anything like that. But aye, they're very, very good. Stu, what's... well, it's not an album. It's an EP. It's by a band called Amethyst from uh, Switzerland. It's called Rock Nights. It's like a mix of early Amethyst. like Amethyst. Yeah, it's like a mix of like early in the album, like Angel Witch and uh, you know Diamond yeah. Head and all that. But mix of the '70s hard rock like UFO and Thin Lizzy and Wishbone Ash. Really good. It's just it's just that kind of rough production. I mean, you get a lot of bands doing that nowadays as well, but they just do it so perfectly. The songs are so catchy. The guy's voice is just so pure and raw. And the, good, and the twin guitar work, it's perfect. Amethyst from Switzerland. The EP mouth. Yeah, check them out, man. I mean, if you're in that kind of stuff, like UFO and Angel Witch, you will not be disappointed. I'll be seeing them live at uh, Keep It True Rising in October. Hopefully they'll be just as good live as they are on the EP. But hey, from what I've been told, people who saw the Musco Rock in Sweden there, they said they were absolutely perfect. And I, I believe... I'm
2: going to need to check it. that out now. Yeah. A, I've, got that on list. Just,
1: I've just got up on Spotify there, so... Yeah, every, every time <laughs> I'm, I'm having one of my drunken YouTube binges, the song uh, Chasing Shadows always comes on. And it and it just sticks with me. I, I, I,
2: I, I, I want to give an honourable mention, though. Aye. Uh, there's one other album, right, that before I was listening to this one, that I, I kind of got mildly obsessed with. And it was uh, Witch Hazel, Sacrament. I, that is... a Fucking belting of an album. That it again, is. Wishbone Ash, Iron Maiden, like just Thin Lizzy, yeah, the so, yeah. man, it's it's fucking glorious. And there's so much of that right now with this kind of seventies, late late seventies, early eighties revival stuff. And it is I'm all for it, mate. The more of it the better because that to me is when music was probably at its best.
1: And they're perfect. I've seen them live oh. about eight or ten times. I've known the guy like Colin and uh, the the new bassist Andy for a bit. 10 fucking years, wow. man, and they're always putting a fucking good live show, so next time they play in Scotland, go see them at the first opportunity. You won't be disappointed. Oh. And the original for a chat. Yeah, the original drummer was blind. Wow. Aye, fucking hell. Yeah, I mean, he's not with them anymore, but, uh, yeah, they're still fucking brilliant. Oh,
0: absolutely. We're getting them on for a chat anyway, but as we come to the end of the show, again, listeners, thank you. This is just our first episode, so. You're getting it as raw as Rocky can come. We've basically just had about four or five little things just to go on a script, and we've just let it flow. But um, what I'll do is I'll get Tam, when he, he's our producer, so he's going to edit the show lovely for us, put all the links to our socials, so we'll get Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And one video I'm going to post tonight on our Facebook page, which is um, Two Beards and a Ball Bag, is Stu Moore in a pub before I maiden singing Can I Play With Madness. You absolutely killed it. Absolutely killed it. Super. Oh, that's
2: beautiful. Super.
0: Mate. beautiful. I, I was shocked. I was shocked. You were there with the glasses on the fucking, and you put your heart and soul into it. And I was just like, wow. Absolutely amazing. So I'm going to post that on our Facebook page for everyone to see.
1: Thanks, dude. <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, guys, again, thanks for listening. Tam, thanks for doing being our lovely producer. Um, Stu, thanks for joining for the first episode. I hope your shift at work goes tomorrow. And I'll see you on Sunday, Tam, hitting a few golf balls at the range. That should be fun.
2: That's it, mate. I think we're getting rain as well, so it'll be interesting. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so, so today, death. Right, um, listeners, thanks again. We love you. Um, as I said, hit the subscribe, follow, share, let all your friends know, and um, we'll be back. I think the plan is to do one a month. Um, we'll just see how it goes. Maybe do one fortnightly, and then once we're the biggest in the UK, we'll be
3: every week. So, again, have a good night, and I'll speak to you all soon. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers.